John Wick. Um, if uh, you're not familiar with this film, well, I, I was going to actually show the trailer for this film because I thought it would summarize nicely kind of where we were going this morning with the, uh, the sermon. But even the, the trailer just felt a little bit too violent to show, particularly after doing such an adorable baby dedication. You know, so I watched the trailer and I was like, you know, it's one of those green band, right? It's like for all audiences. And I was like, man, nah. No, I just, I don't know that that's going to go well. So anyway, John Wick, uh, if you're not familiar with this film, uh, it is, you're probably, you're familiar with most kind of like revenge thrillers, right? Where someone, you know, a, a dad gets his, his daughter is taken, like, you know, in Liam Neeson's character, you know, something horrible is done to someone and they go out to seek vengeance. Well, in this one, uh, John Wick, played by Keanu Reeves, he, he's an ex-assassin, of course, and his wife has died and left him a puppy. And some bad guys come, and they beat him up, and they kill the puppy. It's, I know. I know. And so the next two hours is John Wick making us all feel better about the puppy dying by just killing everybody. And that's kind of, that's, that's it. You're welcome. You saved you some money. Um, so that's the movie. Um, and, and it's interesting. So... <laughs> There's three of them now, I think. I'm pretty sure. There's at least two. I think there's a third one. Um, so it's been become incredibly popular. But this whole genre is just, it's everywhere, right? This revenge fantasy. In fact, my problem this morning, as, as I thought about getting something that kind of, uh, kind of pictured revenge for us, was not what it normally is. Normally, my problem is all of my references are outdated, right? And I'm like, ah, have people, have people even seen that movie? This one, there's just way too many to pick from. I just couldn't figure out how to show a good clip. There's too many to pick from, and they're just all so violent, right? And so whether it's things like um, John Wick or, or, you know, the film The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio, Black Panther, right, the bad guy, every Marvel bad guy, maybe other than Thanos, it's just a revenge thing, right? That something happened, and they're taking revenge. Uh, again, Taken with Liam Neeson, I think there's at least two, maybe three of those. Uh, the Incredibles, Incredibles, it's all about really revenge, that's the bad guy. Um, Kill Bill, Volumes 1 and 2, any Tarantino movie, really, I mean, every Tarantino movie is about revenge. Um, and this is, this is like big money, right? Like, all of us love these movies. And, and the thing, and you can kind of, you know how the movie's going to go. You know how, the general formula that works is they spend the first 10 or 15 minutes getting you to really hate a group of people, right? Like, that, that, that opening bit of the movie is all about getting you to just boil over with the sense of injustice. And then the next, whatever, 70 minutes, 100 minutes, is you thrilling in the hero doing brutal acts to these people. But it's okay, right? Because they're horrible people. And so we feel justified. And of course, it's not just movies. It's, it's all over the, the, I would say, television shows. The shows that we watch, the, the shorter versions, right? Like on Netflix or if we still watch primetime TV. Um, Probably no one does it quite as well as Game of Thrones, but it's everywhere. Uh, whether you know you were a Breaking Bad person or The Sopranos to go back a little bit, or House of Cards, or uh, whatever. Heck, last night as I'm prepping this, my daughter was downstairs watching The Office, and I heard the tail end of the of the one scene, and it was all about revenge. I'm like, look, even in The Office, it's everywhere. This idea of revenge, but it's not just on the the big screen or the small screen. It's also in our music. The other day, I was driving in the car with my daughter, Grace, 
And, of course, uh, Taylor Swift's Bad Blood came on. And, you know, we didn't change it, I know. It's, but, you know, it's catchy, right? And so we're listening to it, and after about 30 seconds, Gracie goes, you know, if you listen to the words, this song's actually kind of messed up. And I was like, well, yeah, actually, it's, have you seen the video? It's, it's a revenge fantasy. That's what it is. It's about what 50% of Taylor Swift's songs are, right? And it's, it's what many of the songs we listen to are. And, and that doesn't mean they're not catchy. They are. But part of what's compelling about them is that we get caught up in these narratives, right? Like, yes, getting revenge. That feels good. It, it feels right. As a, as a culture, we want retribution. We want to see justice done. We want the, the bad guys to get theirs and the good guys to get theirs. We want people to get what they deserve, by and large. And we especially desire retribution when it comes to ourselves, when we've been wronged, when something has been done to us, whether it's a huge slight or just a little kind of error, we, can, we really want to see it made right. We deserve something better. Now, granted, most of us don't go John Wick and start slaughtering people because they killed our puppy, but that might simply be a question of legality, right? Like, I wonder how we would respond if some of these things weren't illegal. If physical acts of violence towards another person because of something they did to us weren't illegal, would we have the same kind of reticence? Would we, would we hold back? Or would we be a little more inclined to say, you know what? I deserve this. This is justice. Well, once again, Jesus invites us to reimagine what it means to be human. We've been in this series for the last couple of weeks that we're calling A New Way to Be Human. And in it, we're looking at one of Jesus' most famous teaching, teachings. It's his longest continuous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, often. Um, and it's Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew's the first gospel, the first biography of Jesus that you come to in the New Testament. And we are looking at this teaching and asking, what does Jesus tell us about what it means to be fully human? As people, as we talked about earlier, as people made in God's image, what does it look like to live the lives we were created for in relationship with God and others? So we're going to jump into his teaching on, uh, on vengeance today. But before we do, just a quick reminder, uh, before we jump too far in, uh, We've been spending a lot of time the last week or so really trying to get the word out to you and to others about an event we have coming up on March 30th that we are totally jazzed about, and that's Inspired. Inspired is an art exhibition that we're doing here in our facility. We've got about 19 or 20 artists, some professionals, some hobbyists, um, who are going to be coming here and displaying their art. And the whole idea here is we're actually beginning a series where we're highlighting the way in which, because we are made in God's image, all of us, have these creative, uh, these creative abilities. And they look different for everyone, um, but we want to celebrate that creativity, the way in which God's nature shines out in us in the things that we do. And so we're going to do that here. It's going to be a great night together. Um, we really encourage you to invite your friends to come on out. Um, we've got a number of people from outside of the church who are going to be showing. These aren't just Koinos people. Um, some are Koinos people, some are not. Um, and we're really hoping for this to be a gift to the community. So invite your friends. Come on out. Uh, Brian Delosier, who does Brian's Dots, 
Uh, he's going to actually be taking about five minutes, five to seven minutes uh, at some point in the middle of the night to share a bit of his story. He's got a remarkable story about how this tragic skiing accident launched him into this place of discovering uh, his creative gifts and uh, his current trajectory. It's, it's fascinating. So we invite you to come out to that, invite your friends, and to help us make it the best night it can be, we also need a lot of help pulling it off. So if uh, you are part of our community here at Coinos, we would love to have your help. We need people to help set up, to help tear down, to be present, to kind of uh, bring water and stuff to the artists, make sure the artists are doing well throughout the night. There's a lot of different things that we need some help with. Uh, Carmen Carpenter, uh, who did our announcements, who's sitting right over here, she uh, is kind of organizing, coordinating our volunteers for the evening. So if you're interested in helping out, see Carmen. There's also a volunteer form on our website where you can uh, fill out there. If you can't find that or can't find Carmen, grab me or grab Andrew, and we'll point you in the right direction. But we can use your help. It's going to be a great night together. All right. So back to uh, Matthew chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with us. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the scriptures up here on the screen so you can follow along there. Jesus says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give it to those who, or give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. All right, so we are, we're breaking our pattern a little bit this week. If you've been with us, what we've tried to do is we go section by section. What Jesus is doing in this portion of the sermon is he's pointing out these, these laws, these Old Testament teachings. He's saying, you've heard this, but I'm telling you this. He's reframing it. He's, he's showing us what it looks like to live that out fully now in relationship with God because he is here. He's showing us what it looks like now that, that God is on the scene in Jesus how this stuff fleshes out in our lives. Now, this week we're taking two. Uh, so you, you probably heard, you caught that as we were reading through it. Um, you've heard that it was said, was said twice. So he refers to two Old Testament uh, laws. But the reason we're doing that is because they really kind of go well together. And I think you'll see that as we walk through it. Um, so let's begin. First of all, he, he starts by referencing a really well-known maxim in the Old Testament, a law that you're probably familiar with, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth idea. We're going to read it. It's it's in a number of places in the Old Testament. We're going to read it from Leviticus chapter 24. This is what it says. Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. So the Latin word for this is lex talionis. That's the law of retribution. And and basically, again, as you see here, and and as you're probably familiar with this, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is a very common expression, right? And it means you you get what you deserve. If you take something, that thing is 
uh, required of you. But the root of this is really important. The root, if you are familiar with the scriptures at all, this law was given to the people of Israel after they came out of 400 years of slavery. And they're learning what it means to be a people who live in relationship together with God and with each other. And so they're given this list of rules. And this is a shame-based culture. It's a culture in which shame is a big deal. So being publicly shamed is, I mean, it's like the height of insult. And so retribution could often in ancient cultures go well beyond simply an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You shame me publicly, you punch me and embarrass me in front of people, I'll kill you. You've, again, probably seen this played out if you're someone who watches the Game of Thrones or House of Cards, essentially the same show in different settings, right? Um, And so this was in many ways given as a gift to kind of create some structure and to provide safety so that retribution was not taken too far. So that you would, you know, if someone broke your arm, you wouldn't retaliate by killing their family. Okay, your arm is broken, so you break another person's arm. It might still sound brutal to us, but if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, it's saying you can't go beyond what was done to you. It's providing a framework for a just society. This is what the law was meant to do. But Jesus says, I'm actually showing you a a new way, something that goes beyond the way of, of vengeance and retribution to mercy. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, get what you deserve, but I'm telling you, show mercy. But look at how Jesus lays it out. It's not simply a passive. I think this is a difficult passage. I would say people who would, you know, are very comfortable saying, I am a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, struggle mightily with this passage. I mean, they might not say they do, but living this out is difficult, if not impossible. Because Jesus is not simply calling us to passivity, to letting ourselves get trampled on by people who are bigger than us and stronger than us. He's calling us to something much more challenging but much more powerful. It's active grace. Let me explain. So when you go through the the three different examples that Jesus gives, right? He talks about slapping, uh, if someone asks for your coat, give them your cloak, and going an extra mile. Um, So to dig down a little bit, if he mentioned specifically slapping someone on the right cheek. Now, you might say, well, Jesus just kind of randomly picked a cheek, and that was the one. But there's more to it than that. In this culture, um, if you were to slap someone, you would do it with your right hand. If you were to do anything, you would do it with your right hand. Your left hand was unclean. So the right hand was the hand that you would use to do anything. You would eat with it. You would you know, greet people with it, and you would strike people with it. To strike someone on the right cheek with the right hand is essentially to backhand them. Right? It's an insult. More than a violent act, it's not, just, it's not like if someone is beating you to a pulp, just sit there and let them do it. It's a, it's a public insult. Now, if you were to slap somebody with the back of your hand, and they turn their head so that their left cheek is facing you, if you're going to hit them again, now you've got to come across them with a punch. If You can imagine that in your head. But you don't 
you, you backhand people who are your subordinates, who are less than you. It's an insult. But if you're going to punch somebody, you're punching someone who's equal with you. This was the understanding. And so in that way, it's a very subversive way to, to, to kind of cause the person to stop and consider what they're doing and who they're doing it to. Or take, for example, the, if someone asks for your coat, give them your cloak as well. So people would have generally had two kind of pieces of clothing. They wore the, the shirt, essentially, and a coat. And so if someone was kind of taking you to court and requiring your coat of you, Jesus is saying, basically disrobe and give them the rest of your clothing. Well, that seems extreme. What is that about? Well, again, this, this is a culture in which public nudity was deeply shameful. And so if you were to do that in front of others and give them your clothing more than they asked for, you're kind of publicly drawing attention to what is happening right in front of you, right in front of others. This injustice where someone is trying to take something that's yours. Without violently kind of acting out against them, you're, you're kind of displaying what's happening right in front of everyone and causing the person who is doing this to you to have to stop and realize what it is that they're doing. And then finally, the, the requiring someone to go a mile with them, well, go a second mile. You've probably, you know, the go the extra mile, that's kind of where this comes from. We often use it in a good way. Um, what Jesus says, right, is so if someone makes you go a mile, and the, the idea here is Roman soldiers were legally allowed to enlist you to go with them up to a mile to, like, force you to do it. But if you, if a Roman soldier does that and you say, you know what, I'm going to go with you a second mile, well, now you're kind of pushing them beyond what they're actually able to do and you're causing this tension where they have to stop and realize what it is that they're now doing. So in this way, Jesus isn't calling us to passivity, but to this active engagement with the person who's trying to, in some way, injure you, to bring about this recognition of two things. One, that you are someone who is made in God's image, so it's kind of a standing up for yourself kind of a thing, and at the same time, that they can choose differently. It's an arresting experience to have someone that you're trying to, uh, to, to take advantage of suddenly offer themselves up to you and say, hey, how can I help more? What, what can I do to make this easier for you? To cause them to stop and think about what it is that they're doing. In that way, it's an act of grace for all the parties involved. But it's hard. It's Again, it feels impossible. It's not, but it feels like it. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says this. He says, Instead of the requirement of retribution, Jesus reveals that grace, love, and forgiveness can reverse the dangers of retribution and even more create an alternative society. Jesus is giving a, a different vision of what it looks like to be human in relationship with God and with others. Not a system of retribution and not one of passivity, but one of active grace where we're learning to love our enemies in ways that are arresting for them and for us and for those around us.
And that's why this first command to uh, turn the other cheek flows so well into the next one of love your enemies. Right? Jesus says, you, you've heard that it was said, uh, love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I say, love your enemies. And what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't ground this simply in pragmatism. It's not like, well, hey, if you really want to see things change, here's the way you need to do it. He doesn't root it in, like, this works, so do it. He roots it in, this is what God is like. And so as people made in God's image, this is how you find life. You love your enemies. Remember he says uh, back in verse 44, he says, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Love your enemies because that's what God is like. And when he uses this rain and sun imagery, it's not, sometimes I, you know, I've heard people reflect on it like, oh, good things happen to good and bad people, bad things happen to good and bad people. That's not it at all. Uh, it's an agrarian society, right? So they raised crops. And so when you, are detri- when you like, depend on the weather to enable you to raise the crops that you're going to live off of or provide for the animals that you're taking care of, rain and sunshine are blessings. They're gifts. You need both of them. And so Jesus is not saying he does good things and bad things to both people. He's saying God's gracious to everyone. Rain, sun, good and bad. God is gracious. And so because we are made in God's image, we are to live graciously with people who, even those people who are our enemies, And this is really difficult for us, right? Because what we want is retribution. We think justice comes when they get what they deserve. But this isn't how God brings about justice. God does not destroy his enemies. God turns them into friends. In Jesus' death on the cross, God does, he shows kind of ultimately what his plan is for bringing justice to the world. It's not by circling up all of the evil folks and mercilessly slaughtering them so that they get theirs. It's by, it's by taking on all of the, the violence and the evil and the injustice and the oppression onto himself. and responding with love and mercy and forgiveness. And in so doing, those who will respond to that love are transformed from enemies into friends. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, says it this way. He says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. God acts to transform his enemies into friends. 
this is what we believe, that we have been brought from a place where we were enemies from God to being God's friends. Not because we shaped up and were now awesome people, but because God in God's mercy has loved us and we've been changed. And this is the kind of love that Jesus calls us to because that is what God is like. We find life as we live in that way in the world, even towards our enemies. And there's no guarantee that our love will turn enemies into friends. There's no guarantee. But it is the only option. It was Martin Luther King Jr. who who actually quipped, not quipped, but he said, love is what turns enemies into friends. And you can see in Martin Luther King Jr.'s life that it's not as though all of his enemies suddenly moved over to his side. Of course, he was ultimately assassinated by enemies. But King understood, and the reason he chose the path of nonviolent resistance is because he understood that the only possibility that he had for transforming enemies into friends was love. It wasn't a guarantee, but it was the only option available if that was the goal. And it, it feels impossible because I think apart from the love of Christ, it is impossible. Apart from our ability to kind of open up, our willingness to open up and receive that love for ourselves, it is impossible for us to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor and someone who was ultimately arrested for trying to uh, assassinate Adolf Hitler, said this, Only those who there in the cross of Jesus find faith in the victory over evil can obey his command. Bonhoeffer was a a fascinating kind of example of this tension, of, of someone who struggled in the tension of what it means to love enemies in the midst of violence and oppression. It's a hard question. But he says there's no way to actually live that out in real life apart from our belief that God himself does this for us on the cross. That it's that that understanding of the nature of reality that enables us to actually believe that if we live with enemy love, we might actually see enemies transformed into friends. That is the new way to be human that Jesus offers us as we learn to live in a relationship with him and with others. Um, a story to close to kind of illustrate this. Uh, there's a theologian author, a uh, guy named Jared McKenna, who lives in Australia, who tells the story of when he was a seminary student. He came home uh, from, I think he came home from a class. It was late at night. He'd gotten off the train, and he was walking back to his house. And as he's doing so, uh, this big guy kind of runs up to him and screams, give me your money. And like all of us, you know, in that situation, I think, you know, he, he kind of wrestled with this fight or flight. At first he thought, should I punch him? And then he thought, he's bigger than me, he will kill me. And so he chose not to punch him. And then he thought, should I run? And then he kind of assessed the situation and figured, I can't outrun him anyway. And so He's like stressing out, trying to figure out what to do. And he, and he says that in that moment, 
Jesus' teaching on loving your enemies just kind of popped into his head. And he said it felt like a warm oil kind of settling on his head and flowing down over his body. And he said for just a moment, he felt peaceful. And so he reached into his wallet and he pulled out all he had. It was 10 bucks and he gave it to the guy. And then he, he extended his hand and said, I'm Jared. And as what you might imagine was an awkward kind of pause, the guy then extended his hand and said, James. There was some confusion where Jared thought he misunderstood. He's like, no, 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 Jared. He's like, no, James. Okay, you got it. All right, you share my name. All right. And there's like this moment where they stared at each other, and then James began to kind of share his story and, and apologize to Jared. Like, he expressed how, how sad, he's sorry he was that he, he had to do this, but he was in a rough spot. He'd been clean for a while, but his, he recently got kicked out of his mom's house and he was living on the streets again and he had to try and provide for himself. And Jared says as he's sharing this, he's noticing the guy and, and he's noticing this stench, this, this stench of urine and, and cigarette smoke. And then he looks at the guy and he sees his arm is bruised up and down. And, and he's starting to move from this place of fear to compassion as James shares his story. And and at one point, someone runs by who's obviously with James. They're kind of working together, and she signals that it's time to go. And so James gets ready to go, and Jared goes, hey, wait a second. And he pulls out a New Testament and says, look, just take this. And things turn real quickly. The the guy kind of gets angry again. He gets up in Jared's face, and he says, why would I want a Bible? I'm going to hell. And Jared said, now look, I didn't think through all of the theological nuances of what I was about to say. It was just kind of in the moment. But all I could think to respond was, well, we're all going to hell. That's why Jesus came. And he said in that moment, this big, scary guy broke down and began sobbing. Shoulders heaving, tears streaming down his face for a few seconds till he was able to compose himself and then turn and, and go. Got about 100 feet away, kind of turned around and waved back at Jared and then kept going. I don't know anything else that has the power to transform enemies into friends. There is nothing else. There is no guarantee that if we love, it will have that effect. People can refuse love. They do all the time. But it's the only hope. Paul again says in Romans chapter 12, 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is our invitation as we follow Jesus together to follow him in the way of self-giving love, to overcome evil with good. Um, now, as, as we kind of bring it to a close here, a brief comment on judgment. I think the place where we often can get, where, where I often go and where I often hear people raise questions about this is like, okay, that sounds great, but there are really nasty, horrible people who do really nasty, horrible things. So does that just all go away and they all get a big hug in the end? And here's what I would say. First of all, judgment's a big, long, like there's a lot to talk about there. Um, One of the things we see really clearly in Scripture is that 
there will be a judgment. That in the end, Christ himself will judge the living and the dead. Here's the interesting thing about that, though. Jesus does not suddenly become John Wick on Judgment Day. Right? He doesn't shift from God who gives himself in love to transform his enemies into friends, into brutal despot who enjoys slaughtering those who rejected his offers of love and mercy. Like, that just is not what happens. And so, whatever it is, so I guess two things I would say. Number one, judgment is real, and we trust that in the end. One of the things we see in Scripture again and again is that part of why we're able to love our enemies is because we trust that God will make all things right. That that is not your job, it's not my job, that is God's job. But somehow, God does that as the one who gives himself in love, and through his love, transforms enemies into friends. And so we hold those things in tension as we wait to see how it is that God makes all things new. And in the moment, we trust Jesus when he says, this new way to be human is to follow me in self-giving love, even for your enemies. So a couple of things to think about as we uh, kind of bring things to a close. And I think we're going to spend some time taking communion uh, at the end of our time here. So we're probably not going to have time for Q&A. I would imagine, we try and do Q&A here every week we can. Um, like I said, with the baby dedication and communion, there's quite a bit going on, so we probably won't have time for that this morning. Uh, but I would invite you, I imagine there are questions about this and how all of that plays out. <clears throat> I would invite you to text us. We have a, there's a number on the back of the bulletin uh, that you can text and you can do it anonymously or, or you can tell us who you are, it doesn't matter. And any questions you might have, and we'll try to address those. Uh, we, once in a while we'll try and do like a, a video uh, on our Facebook page. We'll address some of that stuff. So if you have questions, send those in and we'll try to get around to that. If you, if you don't follow us on Facebook, you can follow us there and we'll try to get to that at some point this week because I, I would guess there are some pretty good questions out of this. And you can always grab me or shoot me an email. I'd be happy to talk about that as well. But a couple of things to think about as we think about Jesus' call to love our enemies this week. Just three things. First of all, uh, I would invite you to spend some time reflecting on God's nature that he is someone, he is one who turns us from enemies into friends because of his love. Spend some time this week just reflecting on the fact that you have been loved into friendship with God. Not threatened, not coerced, not beaten, but loved. Spend some time this week reflecting on that and being grateful for the invitation to become God's friend because you are loved. Secondly, consider taking Jesus literally and praying for your persecutor, your enemy. Now, a quick word in here again. There's so many kind of layers and things to talk about in this. But a quick word. If you are someone who is actually being kind of violently assaulted in a relationship, you're you're in an abusive relationship, and it's either physical or emotional, I am not saying stick in it, be nice, and they'll change. Not at all. Again, part of what we see in Jesus' model of turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, 
is this physical act that it, it serves as a grace because the person who is contributing to the violence has to kind of stop and see what they're doing, right? And part of how you do that if you're in an abusive relationship is get out. Get out. If you need help, talk to me, grab me, grab Andrew. Uh, we'll help you. We work with an organization, Safe Burks. They do great work with victims of um, domestic and sexual violence. We'll get you some help. Do not stay in the relationship. That is not what this means. Loving in that relationship, the only hope for that per- the abuser to change is for you to get out. So they have to deal with the reality of what's going on. And there's no guarantee that they'll change. But you don't stay in in hopes that they will. Get out. Okay? For the vast majority of us, when we talk about enemies, that's, n- that's not who we're talking about. For most of us, when we're talking about enemies, we're talking about those people that we deal with every day who we really struggle with. You know, it might be a coworker, it might be a boss, it might be your spouse. You know, I've seen some spousal relationships that are very much, they're very much enemies. They live in the same house under the same roof. They hate each other. Whoever that is in your life, begin to pray for them. Just start to pray for them. A little bit each day. And just see where that goes. Ask God to help you to maybe take seriously what Jesus teaches, to help you to kind of actually believe what Jesus says about enemy love. And just pray. And then finally, maybe choose one act, one small thing that you might do this week to communicate mercy, grace, to the person who you consider your enemy. Maybe it's a a kind word. Maybe it's refusing to say a nasty word in response. Whatever it is, what's one thing you could do that could communicate grace, mercy, forgiveness, love to someone who you might consider an enemy? This is not easy stuff. But this is an invitation to live in the character of the one who made us. This is what God is like. And as people who are made in God's image, this is how we find life as we live in relationship with him and others. Learning to receive his love and live in that love towards others, even those we consider our enemies. So as we kind of close this time, I think it's it's really appropriate as we think about loving our enemies that we close the time by taking communion. Communion is, um, it's a very practical way in which we remind ourselves that we are part of the story of a God who loves us so much that he in himself takes on violence and hatred and oppression so that out of forgiveness and love, we can be transformed from enemies into friends. So as we take a little bread and a little juice together, we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus and the love that he gives so that we can be friends with our creator. So we're going to do that together in just a moment. I'm going to pray for us, and and as soon as we're done, uh, we'll stand together, and we'll kind of go out the side aisle here and come down the front. And you'll come up and take a little bread, a little juice. There is gluten-free options as well. So if you're gluten-free, there's a gluten-free wafer. You can grab that. 
and then just take it back to your seat. And they'll be singing. Uh, the band will be singing. Um, so whenever you're ready during that time, you can just take it. And I would just encourage you during this time to reflect on the love that God has for you. If uh, for whatever reason you're uncomfortable uh, taking communion in this way or, or at all, uh, you are welcome to just hang tight in your seat, enjoy the music, and we'll be moving on to a final song in just a minute. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your love for us. That feels like such a, um, such a weak way to say it, but words fail um, when it comes to things like this. Thank you so much for the ways that you have extended yourself in love so that we can be transformed from enemies to friends. Would you help us to be empowered by your spirit to begin to live in your example with those around us? Give us courage to even just to to pray for our enemies because that can be really hard. Give us courage to pray for our enemies and give us courage and even insight and creativity into one, one act of kindness that we might do this week to communicate love, to move in the direction of enemy love and to trust you with judgment, to trust you with making sure all things are made right. Give us courage and strength because we know this really isn't easy. And give us your grace and mercy for those times when we fail to do it. Thanks again for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.